I'm going to need to know how these podcast fucking bros do it because I am so self-conscious about yapping. And it's literally my job to yap. Like, I am literally doing a podcast and it's my job to yap. And I'm so self-conscious. How the fuck do these podcast bros do it, especially when they have nothing to fucking say? Who is God? What is the meaning of life? When does life begin and where does knowledge come from? But most of all, why am I like this? On this season of Dropout Philosopher, it's midnight and there's a lot on our minds. Bat and I hope that you join us on the pursuit of self-knowledge. I gotta be honest, I almost did not upload today's podcast episode, or even record it for that matter. But here I am, because I am going to fix my procrastination issues. But I'm going to do it in in support of my pursuit of self-knowledge. Not because I want to adhere to capitalistic standards of hyper-individualism and productivity, but because it is important to me that I manage my time in a way that is beneficial and helpful towards myself and the people I love. So, working on the procrastination issues. How did I go from almost not recording at all to now being in your ears as you're listening to this, I guess? Well, one of the things I'm trying out is a ritual. I realized that, and I don't know really why, I'm sure there are multiple reasons, and all reasons I will explore in the pursuit of self-knowledge. I really like the rituals, and I have noticed when I self-reflect and think about past experiences that I tend to do things or be motivated more motivated to do things after I do certain other things it sounds a little bit like OCD kind of so it's like okay if I do activity A and B and C in a particular order then the thing that I actually wanted to do I'm able to do right after for example today (laughs) I got high, I walked the dog, then I did some yoga, lots of physical movement, and then I took a shower, came back into my room, got a little bit higher, and the ideas just started flowing, I did not feel as stuck, and I was able to record and again edit enough to be able to upload it for you to hear, you wonderful listener. Which, it still boggles my mind that people are listening to my work, by the way, as a side note. I cannot, cannot wrap my mind around it. So grateful for you. It means a lot to me. I'm very humbled by it. Anyhow. Ritual. So that's my ritual. Um, might sound dumb to some of y'all, but listen, I find it deeply meaningful and that's okay. In the spirit of science and research, I will be trying out different rituals and see what motivates me to do the podcast, to brainstorm for it, to record it, do everything that I need to do for the podcast without also seeming like too much of a ritual for me to get started. Because I also recognize that if I feel like there are too many steps, depending on my energy levels, I don't want to do it. And the more I don't want to do it, 
And the more I try to force myself in that state, the worse it gets and the more I rot in bed. So I need to hack that as well. So figuring out a ritual that is small enough that even on a low energy day, I am willing to begin. I also recognize that once I begin the first step, the second step and the third step will naturally follow or however many steps. So all of that will be experimenting in the next couple of weeks and hopefully we can figure out something. As you can probably tell, but I'll give the disclaimer anyway, I'm not attempting to use any scientific research or knowledge right now. I am just experimenting with myself at home. Um, as a side note, shout out to at self experimenting on Instagram. She is wonderful. I follow her and I listen to her reels and she goes through a lot of different ways you can experiment with yourself to figure out yourself. And I think there's going to be a lot of self experimentation in my pursuit of self knowledge. And I encourage you or challenge some of you to do the same. Figure out what works. If you have issues with procrastination and I have yet to meet somebody, especially in my age group, that doesn't have some sort of procrastination, um, well, some sort of toxic relationship procrastination. So, you know, join me, I suppose. So speaking of rituals, especially rituals that involve yoga, yoga has been something that I have been recently studying quite heavily. Um, I'm working towards getting my yoga teacher certification. And there's so much that we don't know about yoga. And it's especially hard for me to recognize that given that it is, you know, in my history, right? It's technically in my blood and my ancestors. This is something that my ancestors came up with. However, yoga, of course, because of colonization, has now turned into a aesthetic practice that's all about looking really cute in yoga pants and clothes and being able to show how flexible you are. And so much of the deeper meaning in yoga has been lost. For example, yoga has been shown to be tremendously helpful for trauma. And I would say I experienced some light years of healing in some of my trauma once I incorporated yoga into it. Is it a quick fix? Absolutely not but it has led to some of the most relieving healing that I have felt ever. <laughs> While I would rather focus on what yoga is rather than give y'all a lecture about what yoga isn't, because, you know, again, colonized yoga is not actually yoga. Before I, you know, try to take the high road and just talk about what yoga is, I do have to get one pet peeve out of the way because it's a small thing, but it's my biggest pet peeve, and that is pronunciation, especially of the most basic fucking word, which is namaste. Namaste. It's such a simple word, and yet it's so very rare that I hear it being pronounced correctly. And the few times I have heard it pronounced correctly, it's because the yogi is a person of color. It's not namaste. It's not namaste. It's namaste. And you can also say namaskar or namaskaram. Um, there are just various different ways of saying that the light within me acknowledges and honors the light within you. Such a beautiful phrase. So please don't butcher it. Learn how to fucking say it. And while I generally try to have patience with people, especially when it comes to pronunciations, because my, uh, by no means I'm good at pronouncing a lot of good, uh, a lot of 
deeply meaningful cultural things. I'm, I'm, I know I'm not perfect either. So generally, I am patient. However, if you're going to teach yoga, if you're going to lead people in yoga, you better know how to fucking say the word. That's all I'm saying. Okay, deep breaths. What is yoga? What is it meant to be? And why is there a reason for the emphasis of pronunciation? So, namaste and the other words in yoga, especially like all the positions, all the poses, that the words, the language that's used is called Sanskrit, one of the oldest languages in the world. Some would say that it is the oldest language, others say that the oldest language is Sumerian. Either way, it is a ancient language, which means refined, perfected, sanctified perfectly or entirely done. It is a liturg liturgical, <laughs> bear with me as I just read on a rant about pronunciation. Uh, you know what? English as a colonizer language does not deserve my correct pronunciation. Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> liturgical language of Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism. Um, and this is uh, paraphrased from Nikolai Bachman, it originated from oral traditions to communicate spiritual insights. Um, Russell Paul, to paraphrase, says, includes words for spiritual experiences with no equivalents in other language. And nearly all Sanskrit literature is in verse. So each of the 50 letters of the Sanskrit alphabet are thought to have a sound frequency with a specific therapeutic benefit. So, whether or not you believe that, whether or not you want to, like, you think that is legitimate, I don't personally know where I, where I stand on that. However, because it is a accepted part of yoga, I think it's still important to learn how to pronounce things correctly, because what worst case scenario, it makes no difference. And best case scenario, each of these pronunciations and the words that comes out of our mouth that does play a role in our health. And in that case, you're getting better, right? So pronounce things correctly, or at least attempt to and learn to. I know it's embarrassing. It's hard for me too. It's something I need to work on as well. I don't and say words enough if I'm scared to mispronounce them. However, you cannot learn what you do not practice. So since I'm currently learning to be a yoga teacher, I am also learning about the philosophies and everything there is to know about yoga and how it's practiced and all the different ways it is practiced. One of the traditions um, is attributed to Panthajani's Yoga Sutras. So sutras being teachings and these are usually in verse. And one thing I found out that I was shocked by recently, that only three of the 196 sutras talk about the physical aspects of yoga. The one aspect that everyone talks about, the one aspect that yoga is known for, is such a small portion of what yoga is meant to be. And it ended up working out perfectly that I am learning yoga while at the same time in this pursuit of self-knowledge. Because it out of the eight limbs of yoga, which is another teaching in yoga that there are eight limbs, and I will go through the explanations a little bit more probably in the next episode. But one of the ones I wanted to focus on today is niyamas. I think it's the second one, and it has to do with your relationship with yourself. Niyamas literally means observations, observations about yourself. Isn't that wild? Look at that timing. Look at the, look at how the pieces are piecing. <laughs> 
So, niyamas have to do, again, it, it, it literally means observances, and it has to do with personal behavior, and it can't even be thought of as instructions to evolve your personality. And there are, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, five aspects. I don't know why I counted that. <laughs> I knew this already, but anyway, there are five aspects to niyamas. Again, I am doing my very best to make sure I pronounce everything correctly, but feel free to look up these words on your own as well to make sure you are pronouncing it correctly. The first being saucha. This means cleanliness, and of course, a lot of it refers to the physical cleanliness of your space, of the place around you. I know I could definitely use better systems to keep my surroundings clean. However, it is also referring to a state of mind. Everything in yoga is physical and spiritual and mental and emotional at the same time. It's never going to only... One thing I like about yoga is that its teachings are meant to be applied on all aspects. It's not, oh, it'll work for your brain, but not for your physical body. Anyway, that side note aside, that's the first part, saucha. The second aspect is santosha, which is contentment. Um, in, in Tamil, it's sandosham, so it's, I always like finding things. So Tamil it borrows a lot from Sanskrit. Tamil is its own language. It was not derived from Sanskrit. However, it does use Sanskrit words and alphabets here and there when we don't have the alphabet for it. More explanation later. I, uh, I love languages, so you can definitely expect to get more episodes on linguistics. Anyway, Santosha, which is about contentment. So it is a state of mind, which understanding that nothing added will make it better, make you feel better or feel more content. Now, I'm not fully in agreement with this. I do believe that often we need to take control or do certain actions to better things for ourselves. We obviously cannot control the people around us, cannot control how the world goes. There is a level of, I can't be upset about things I can't control. However, if there's something I can do, I think we should do it. So I don't think it's completely a state of mind. However, I do agree that a lot of contentment is very much about a pers perspective shift. Um, uh, there's this J. Cole song. Side note, I believe J. Cole is a modern philosopher. Disagree with me if you want, but tell me why anyway. Um, there's a song that he has, right, it's called Love Yours, right? And it's essentially just another way of like, the grass is always greener, etc, etc. We've heard the a variation of this in many different ways. But yes, Santosha, that idea of contentment and having it be a state of mind that you yourself cultivate, either by perspective shifts or by actions, adjusting things that are under your control. Afterwards is tapas. Now, tapas is defined as discipline, austerity, or burning enthusiasm. I heard it explained elsewhere as the fire or the desire to find the truth. But it's emphasized that it is a burning desire. It is a almost all-consuming desire. The person that was describing this, um, he was explaining how like it, it's the kind of dedication where it's like, I'll go stand in the middle of the forest and not eat for 15 days until I figure out the truth, that level of desire. And, you know, that made me think of special interests. And that made me think of 
certain autistic traits and certain ADHD traits and these things that are considered as disorders, quote unquote, and, you know, illnesses really being just another way of thinking. And in fact, turns out it is good for you and for your health to have burning desire like that for something, whether it is the pursuit of truth or something else, right? Um, I have a couple of things that I would describe. I would say I have tapas for. All right, so the fourth one, I have a little bit of trouble pronouncing, so bear with me here. Um, and also, as a disclaimer, some teachings do end it here as the teachings for yoga. Others add a fifth element. I will include the fifth element for the purpose of this episode. But yes, number four is Swadhyaya. So I'm going to say that one more time. Swadhyaya. So this is the study of the self and of the text. The idea is that, yes, while you have teachers and mentors to help you with, with your studies and with your pursuit of knowledge, it is also important that you are studying yourself and your experience of learning these texts. And you also take away your own knowledge from these texts or from whatever you're studying. While again, this is meant to be specific to yoga, I think it is a important thing for anything. I think this pursuit of self-knowledge is actually helpful in understanding the world around us because the pursuit of self-knowledge inherently requires the pursuit of truth and knowledge in general. At least that's what I believe. Lastly, we have Ishvara Pranidhana which is a surrender to a higher being or contemplation of a higher power. This again is, you know, there are certain things that I take and certain things that I don't take. Um, and I believe that contemplation of a higher power is in of itself a worthy pursuit and worthy endeavor. I think to say that there is absolutely no way that there is something out there, that there is some sort of force even right <laughs> not to be star wars but for sure to be like star wars i am not convinced that it is that easy for us to know for a fact without the shadow of a doubt that there is nothing else out there um just given the differences of our perception and the perception of animals you know how can we know for sure based on our perception of the world and our limited knowledge we haven't even found out most of the things that are in the material plane you know so i'm not so easily convinced that there is nothing out there however i also do not agree that one any religion or way of life has the truth. Anyway, with that being said, I think it is a worthy endeavor to surrender to the contemplation of a higher power or a bigger meaning outside of it. And I'm saying this as an existentialist. So, you know, I don't know, debate with me. The physical aspects of yoga have already done so much for me in terms of like healing and self-regulation and helping me cope in a healthier way than I have in the past. And now learning the other aspects of yoga, the more prevalent and more important aspects of, the, of yoga, well, we won't say more important, but at least it's more the majority, right? Only three of the 196 sutras talk about the physical aspect. So. The 193 sutras, I can only see it helping me further. 
And what I already love about this element of the self is how it has balance. It's not just all about, oh, complete self-regulation, be stoic, and some of those of you know me and have heard me rant that I hate stoicism because it's very much about, oh, you can only control what's going on in you and you get to keep a level head and, you know, not let it affect you so much, et cetera, et cetera. Hate it. I hate it. I know I'm not doing stoicism justice, but even if you explain it to me in a very nuanced and explanatory way, it's still not a way I prefer to live my life. I apologize for those of you who like stoicism. Good for you. Um, I don't. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but with here you see how there's santosha which is contentment so the idea of a state of mind that nothing you add will make it better or whatever but it also talks about tapas with this having the fire the burning enthusiasm to find the truth to really put all your all in right so i think part of self-regulation part of healing from all the trauma it, it will look like that it will guess be a lot of self-regulation and working through things and i've been doing that a lot and i'm very proud of myself it's been i've been seeing growth in places that i never thought i would see and it's hard for me to say that i'm proud of myself but i'm trying to say it more and even that is for me <laughs> a sign because in the past i would refuse to say it so we're getting better right um yeah so i can still self-regulate i've learned to self-regulate and at the same time, I'm allowed to have these big feelings. I'm allowed to have the intensity of these feelings. I'm allowed to love the people I love really deeply. And I can love them hard. I'm allowed to do that. I think removing that shame of being too much or saying too much or feeling too much, removing that was so important for me to learn that self-regulation because it's okay to be like that and i wanted to end with two things one one of the things i have been learning and one of the things that i have been putting into my overall i'm working on my own thesis for what no reason just for myself i guess this will be the dropout philosopher thesis um we're about to just have a fucking fake university anyway <laughs> And this is by no means a unique thesis. This is not me saying anything, I don't think saying anything particularly crazy or outlandish. Matter of fact, I think anyone who has studied in the humanities and philosophy and psychology will agree with me. And I am sure this has been said in different ways in the past. Um, and I'm only sharing this as what I am exploring within my, in the context of my personal life and also my professional, philosophical and artistic interests. Right, and the and the thesis is that people with disabilities, people with mental health struggles with mental health, the rise in suicide rates, all of this is to society that the canary is to the miners in a coal mine. Some of you may have heard the the canaries in a coal mine uh, phrase before, and it is based on a practice that actually occurred. Up until very recently, until like the 80s, and matter of fact, a lot of the miners actually had issues. And when I say miners, it's M-I-N-E-R-S, guys. I don't know why, I just, just making sure. <laughs> anyway, um, the miners actually had a hard time letting go. Basically, what they did was have a canary in a cage they would bring with them when they went inside these coal mines. And if and when the canary died, it was their cue to get the fuck out of there. 
because canaries are what we call sentinel species, meaning they are more sensitive to certain poisons and gases than humans are. Um, and it's not that we're immune to it, it just takes a, a bit longer for it to affect us. So having the canaries there was like an early detection system before the machines were invented. But again, even after the machines were invented, the miners were upset that they could no longer use comb, could use canaries because they felt they had company or some shit. It's kind of crazy, and I do want to develop and talk more about this in, in future episodes, and you will hear me talk about it. But yeah, I, I recognize that part of understanding yoga, part of looking at these ancient practices, we've survived for ages before we got all these technological advancements due to self-regulation and, and there were always ethics on how to treat each other, how to treat yourself. And a lot of that knowledge has been lost due to colonization and imperialism, especially in the community of people of color. If I had these techniques, if I had this understanding of the world growing up, if I didn't have so much shame and, you know, imperialism shoved down my throat and feeling inferior based on identities that I didn't choose, if I didn't have any of that, there's so much pain I could have avoided, right? And this is something I can go on about, but it is something that I am developing out of my pursuit of self-knowledge, which I hope will only expand onto the others. The idea that, yes, there is a rise in mental health struggles. Yes, more people are depressed now more than ever. More people are anxious now more than ever. Not because we're pussies. Not because we're, you know, weak. We are actually too sensitive. But it's more like it's coming for all of y'all. It's coming for everyone. We're just the first one dying off because we recognize this is not the way we're meant to live. Do you really think it sounds normal for someone to want to kill themselves? Does it sound healthy to you? Does it sound like, oh, they chose to? If I could choose to not have that desire, why would I choose the desire to die and leave things behind, you know? All of that to say, what if we considered the weakest of society as the canaries in a coal mine. How many of us have to die? How many of us have to kill ourselves before you realize we need to change, right? I'm dreaming of a world where we switch to not using canaries and matter of fact, we don't even need to be mining for coal when there is renewable green energy, right? There I go again, making analogies more complicated than they need to be, but they work. So deal with it. And finally, I wanted to end with a, something a bit more encouraging, I hope. On Monday, January 15th, someone I went to college with and who I've done business with is opening his first studio, his photography studio, and he had wanted it to look like an art gallery and gave me the honor of having it be my art that is up on the gallery. And, you know, there's a lot to the story but it is so deep and meaningful for me. I was never allowed to dream of being an artist. It was always a silly dream. It's always one of those fantasizing, you know, when you daydream about things that will never actually happen. I thought this would always be one of those. And now it's actually happening. It's actually coming true. And as someone who has spent their entire life feeling like they cannot dream, spent their entire life feeling like 
their dreams don't matter and their dreams are too silly or not achievable to now having my art up it feels it's so deep it's so heavy it's so beautiful and it's hard for me to say i'm proud of myself just yet but best believe by next thursday after the event is over i will be able to say that i am proud of myself for doing this and I wanted to share that with you all because I know that I tend to talk about a lot of heavy topics and I want to and I appreciate those of you who listen to it and I also want to work on having a more balanced life so as I engage with darkness, as I engage with the depths of the trauma that I've been through, that others have related to me, have gone through, as I go through the fucking shit storm that is our political and economic system, etc, etc, I also want to balance it with the things that are truly beautiful and meaningful, and overcoming trauma, working towards making a dream come true are all worthy pursuits. And hey, we did talk about tapas, right? The burning desire to learn and the burning desire to do. And that is painting for me. And I am glad to share that with you all. And I am, for the first time in a really long time, excited for the journey. Mm -hmm.